This week on Raffi Reviews, Raffi Reviews Ant-Man and the Wasp, Quantumania! Quantumania. <laughs> uh, welcome back to Rappy Reviews, the show where I review comic book movies. Um, it's been a while. If you're confused about why I'm recording when I said I was going to go on hiatus, I put this out there a couple times, but despite being on hiatus, uh, I do want to keep doing movie reviews. Uh, I might do them a little bit differently. I know with this one, I kind of want to just chop it up a little bit, not... I used to do these super detailed. Like, I remember when Captain America Civil War came out, I literally spent like 15 minutes on every character in that movie. Um, and I don't want to do that going forward. Um, I am still in kind of a hiatus period where I'm not doing podcasts, um, with the exception of these movie reviews. Um, part of that is to, you know, make like content for the people that do follow me. But the other half of it is to just get my opinions out there and, like, you know, obviously opinions change over time, but I want to kind of get a stamp on things as they're happening. Um, but yeah, Ant-Man and the Wasp Quantumania. It's the third Ant-Man movie. To our knowledge, it's, like, the last one. I don't know. Um, and apparently it's the first movie of Phase 5, which I didn't know at all. It feels like Phase 4 was like a blip, coincidentally. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I, as a first film for Phase 5, I think it does a, a good job. Um, before we really get into spoilers and stuff, uh, my grade for this movie is no rush. Um, I do think you should see this movie. I think it's fun. But, uh, you know, if you want to wait till it gets onto Disney+, Plus, that's fine. Um, I don't think you need to run out and go see it right now. You know? But, um, yeah, I'm gonna go through some characters, some notes, and the future of these characters and this, you know, whole Ant-Man thing we've been doing for the last, you know, ten years. Uh, and again, I'm going to try to be shorter about all of this stuff. I'm gonna try not to ramble as much. Um, because, again, I am taking a hiatus from podcasting, he said with confidence. Um... You know, I still want to do these movie reviews, but I, I do want to sort of have them be a little bit shorter and just kind of get to the, the nitty-gritty of it a little bit sooner, you know? But, uh, <clears throat> yeah, let's, uh, let's get into characters a little bit. So starting with, uh, of course, the star of the film, Paul Rudd as Scott Lang slash Ant-Man. Uh, Rudd hasn't lost his touch at all. Um, his version of Scott Lang is still the version that you know from previous movies um he does give the character a bit more ego a bit more uh self-complacency um basically he's not doing a lot of superhero work because he was kind of a fundamental part of saving the world from Thanos and from the snap um he's written his own book which if you go on Amazon you can actually buy Scott Lang's um memoirs which is hilarious I'm gonna get that for myself um, 
But yeah, my only complaint about Scott Lang is that I feel like uh, he doesn't really have... Like, he has an arc in this movie, um, which is to say, like... Okay. So in Ant-Man 1, he has to learn how to be a hero, how to be a superhero instead of being a criminal. Um, In the second movie, he has to sort of maintain that hero status despite being a criminal and despite having, you know, kind of a watchful eye on him. And movie three, you would think, would be about him, like, fighting against, uh, like, the feeling of satisfaction. I feel like that's always been a thing with Scott Lang is, like, he's a superhero, he does a superhero thing, and then he just wants to relax. But then something comes up and he's called to action again. And at this point, he figures, well... I overcame Thanos, I overcame time travel, uh, you know, I met the Avengers, I am an Avenger, like, I, I'm, like, he is sort of at a point where he's like, I've already done the most important thing in my life, and now I'm going to do the next important thing and just be a father to my daughter. The problem with doing that is that his daughter, as well as the rest of his, you know, supporting cast, are all doing things with their lives, while Scott is just sort of sitting back and reveling in his success, and that reveling and that kind of uh, eagerness to just take it slow and retire, um, it, it, there's a conflict between that and, like, the willingness to keep doing good. Like, his daughter wants him to use his status as Ant-Man to make the world a better place in a sort of progressive way that you don't see in the Marvel Universe. Like, for example, we'll talk about her later, but um, Hope, the Wasp, she's in charge of Hank Indus- or Hank sorry, PIM Industries, and she's using shrinking technology to make affordable housing and, like, help with the the, hung, the hunger uh, problem across the world. And that's, like, brilliant. I hope we actually get to see that throughout the other movies because, like, if something like PIM Particles existed and they were in the hands of superheroes, you would hope the first thing they do would be to, like, solve world hunger. Um... And I like that. I have a lot of doubt. I have a lot of doubts that that's going to be carried over into other movies. Um, I, I mean, Tony Stark made renewable energy, so like, are we seeing that anywhere? I don't know. <laughs> um, but yeah, that's kind of what Scott's bag is in this. He doesn't want to fight the fight, the good fight. He doesn't. He doesn't want to get involved. Like at the at the beginning of the movie when they're sucked into the quantum realm. Uh, his number one priority is just getting back out. He doesn't want to help the people that are in there, and it's his daughter that convinces him to help. Now, where that kind of falls apart is, like, I feel like we get to that point where he's sort of obligated to help out the people inside the quantum realm, and then his arc becomes, like, protecting his daughter, making his daughter proud, and that's good, but that's very, like, anything. Like, you know, any father character in one of these movies can have that arc of I'm gonna make my daughter proud I'm gonna do it for my daughter it's you know I'm I'm her I'm her dad I'm gonna ensure her future she is tomorrow it's all about her like that's good but it's just so recycled it's it, it could be anyone but the the arc of like I've done the best I can and I don't want to do anymore and being passive about it is kind of what defines Scott Lang like as a as an Avenger, as a character in these movies, Scott is unlike a lot of other superheroes because being the superhero isn't really a priority for him. Like, 
in the second movie, he just wants to be, like, a business owner. You know? In the first movie, he just wants to be out of prison and live a normal life. In this movie, he just wants to be the guy who was Ant-Man. It's not like he wants to retire, but he doesn't want to do the same stuff he's been doing. You know, at the first sign of, oh, maybe I can chill out now, that is the path that Scott tanks, uh, takes. You know? When he gets out of jail, he just wants a regular job. Um... And I think that quality is very important to his character, and it doesn't shine through, like, through half of the film. You know, when he decides, okay, I'm going to help in the quantum realm, that eagerness to just get back to normalcy, uh, it doesn't really exist. He's kind of all in on, you know, I'm doing the right thing, I gotta save these people, I gotta save my daughter, and it's... I like the, the, I think the problem, too, is that there's so much going on in this movie, it's kind of hard to focus on that aspect of Scott Lang. So, we just mentioned her, but in this movie we get Cassie Lang, who is played by Catherine Newton. Cassie Lang is the daughter of Scott Lang. We've seen her played by multiple actresses uh, by this point. Uh, they did recast her from the teenager from um, Endgame, which uh, I'm not... You know, on one hand, I'm a little bummed because that feels like you're kind of robbing an up-and-coming actress of uh, a, a, an important role. Um, we're all supposed to just kind of pretend the same way we pretended that, like, War Machine always looked like Don Cheadle. Um, but on the other hand, I like Catherine Newton. I've seen movies with her in it. Um, I love Detective Pikachu, and she isn't that. So I'm not too bummed out about it. Um, but, like, yeah, she's casting Lang in this. They straight up give her a costume. They don't name her yet, which I think is interesting, because in the comics she's gone by Stature, which is what I prefer to call her, but more recently she's gone by Stinger, which I think is, is you know, I don't know, a little too, like, I don't know, I'm not a fan of it. I kind of like the idea, and this could work in the movies or the comics, I like the idea of just kind of retiring every other Wasp and letting Cassie be Wasp. Um, but then again, the thing about the Ant-Man family is that they have, like, six names floating around, so really she, she could grab any of those. Um, it'd be kind of ironic if she became Yellow Jacket, because that character wasn't always a villain. Anyway, she's in this. Um, I had a bit of a whiplash with her when they introduced her, because when they introduced her, she was, uh, in jail, you know, because she's a Lang. <laughs> she's Scott Lang's daughter, of course she's in jail. But, um... I remember seeing her in jail and then being like, oh, no, they're going to do the thing where she's a jailbird because her dad is a jailbird. Um, but then they reveal that she's in jail because she was involved in, like, a protest. And then it's like, oh, okay, so she's she so she is like her father. She's doing crime for good because that's kind of Scott's background. Um, that's cool. I like that. And as a character, her motivation is like, using the tools and knowledge and technology that she has to help people, even if it doesn't, like, fit, like, um, like, even if it doesn't, even if it goes against the law, you know? And that's a quality she knows about her father, and that's a quality that she wants to reinvoke in her father. You know, this is someone who grew up, you know, she didn't have her dad for a long time because of the Thanos snap and because of, um, what is it, the quantum realm. So... Now that she has him back, it seems like she wants him to kind of f fit into that square that he was before. She doesn't want him to just kind of settle. And I think, you know, just like with the Scott Lang thing, there's a missed opportunity in, like, a story arc here. Because either 
Cassie could have inspired Scott to, like, be a hero again, despite him wanting to settle down, which is kind of what happens, but we don't focus too much on it when it's done. There's never a conversation where Scott is like, you know, thank you, Cassie, for reminding me what it means to, you know, have superpowers and be a good person. Like, there's never that moment. Um, but also, you could have done a story arc about, like, you know, Cassie's the kid in this situation. It could have been a story arc about her learning to, like, watch and wait and kind of see a situation out before she jumps head in. Like, being a thief, you know, like being a superhero, a lot of it is about planning or at least knowing the situation before you jump into it. Otherwise, you just make a bigger mess of things, which I think could have been a good lesson for her. Um, especially since she's kind of the new character, the ride-along in the situation. Um, it is her actions and the intervention of, like, uh, Janet Van Dyne that sort of kick off the events of this movie. Now, again, as far as these Young Avengers slash Champions characters they're doing that they're introducing here, um, I like Cassie a lot. Uh, you know, I think, you know, there's definitely a scale here where, like, like, for me, America Chavez is, like, at the bottom because <laughs> that character got, like, six minutes of personality. Um, and then at the top, you know, if we're not counting, like, Peter, um, probably Kate Bishop, you know? And I think Cassie is, like, right there in the middle. I like her. I think she has room to grow. Um, but just because of the size of this movie, because it's not, like, a two-person, like, uh, you know, six-episode series on Disney+, Plus, Cassie doesn't have a little, whole lot of time to show off the sides of her character, and... I think it's also important in, in, like, you know, they couldn't have fit this in. But, like, in the comics, a lot of her character is informed by, like, her mother being overprotective. Um, which, again, could have folded into this. If we ever do get, you know, a new Avengers movie or show, or they call it Champions, I think Cassie and Kate would have a really cool um, friendship. I think they, you know, they might start off as kind of like uh, in a love-hate situation. But I think similar to the comics, Kate and Cassie would work really well as a duo. So that's kind of where I am with Cassie. That's kind of the most of what I got. Um, it is cool that she shrinks and it is cool that she gets big. Uh, hopefully next time around they can... Because I don't like... Because her costume in this is purple and uh, black. I'm hoping they give her a red and black in the future. But uh, beggars can't be choosers, I guess. Um, let's see. Now... This isn't just Ant-Man, guys. This is Ant-Man in the Wasp. So let's talk a little bit about uh, Ev Ev Evangeline, Ant Angeline, Ant <sighs> Miss Lily, okay? Eva Evangeline Lily as uh, Hope Van Dyne, a.k.a. the Wasp. Now, I think, you know, because I did a lot of thinking about the other movies, like the other Ant-Man movies when I when I was prepping for this. I like her in the first movie because you get just enough of her backstory to kind of justify the attitude that she has. Um, what I like about Hope in the second movie is that, like, talking about the actual, like, actions that she performs, like, it is clear Hope is better at being Wasp than Scott is at being Ant-Man. And, like, I, not that I need Scott to have one over on Hope, but, like, 
I need Hope to kind of have a flaw, I guess. Like, in the second movie, I think her driving force was everything that happened to her mom and sort of the rocky relationship she has with her dad. But, like, honestly, I can't think of... Like, Hope is... Not to say she's boring, but Hope isn't very interesting to me, you know? And I think that that's... That's really disappointing because she's a character who, you know, lost her mom for a very long time. She has a weird relationship with her dad. Um, she's very business oriented. You get the feeling that she might have had to grow up too fast, you know? And, like, she, there's not, like, I don't know what kind of person she is outside of this, right? We've seen Hope as business oriented. We've seen Hope uh, take over Pim, Pim Industries. Um, or maybe it's Pim Labs. I can't remember what they called it, but she takes over Pim Ministries. We've seen we've seen her be a superhero, and we've seen her as a romantic interest. And that that's the thing too with this is like we got a lot of Hope and Scott being a couple in the second movie, but you would think in a third movie where Hope and Scott are like recently back into the world, like Scott is back from the quantum realm. Hope is back from um, being dusted, you know? <laughs> you would think that, like, you know, you'd want to explore the relationship a little bit more, especially now that Scott's daughter is a teenager. Like, that whole... that Like, those three characters bouncing off each other already has something interesting. Like, the other two anime movies did a really good job with, like, grounded storytelling about these people. You know, like, obviously... You have a dude that can shrink to the size of an ant and uh, a chick who can shrink and fly and shoot laser beams. And there's a city that shrinks down into a suitcase. But behind all that stuff are these humans with human relationships. So like a teenage daughter, a rebellious teenage daughter who like lost her father for a long time, gets him back. He's in this relationship with this business oriented kind of like emotionally stunted woman who's like trying you know who I would assume would try to be either a mother or a friend to his daughter like there's such whiplash in the family dynamic that like that could have been your story but we want to see explosions and giant bacterial monsters so we can't do that um but I think as a side effect you kind of rob hope of any opportunity to grow and explore new avenues in the second movie, she finds out the secrets of, like, the all the secrets that her dad is keeping from her. And in this movie, Hope learns all the secrets that her mom is keeping from her. And that's it. Her story arc is, Mom, tell us about the past. Okay, you told us. I still love you. That's it. The fact that this is called Ant-Man and the Wasp, like, neither of these characters go through an arc. Like, Scott kind of has PTSD by the end of this. Or at least, like, a disassociative disorder. And Hope is just, like, a little bit happier by the end. Like, there's not a lot to chew on there. And I get I get that this is, like, in quotations, the third and final Ant-Man movie. So why do we leave any room to grow? But assume that you're going to be continuing with Cassie. And, like, these characters aren't going to just go away. So I guess I'm just a little confused as to... You know, what was the direction with Hope for this movie beyond her reacting to what her mother has to tell her? Alright, 
Next couple of characters, uh, Michelle Pfeiffer comes back as Janet Van Dyne. Um, I don't like her in this movie. <laughs> uh, the whole thing is supposed to explore what her time in the quantum realm was, which, listen, if you want to do that, make a Disney Plus Wasp show, right? And have it be about her, set it in the quantum realm, you know, uh, hell, you can give her a son, or you can give her a daughter with Bill Murray, <laughs> you know, do kind of a Nadia Pym twist here. Um, but just, you know, if you want to talk about what her story in the, the quantum realm was, do that there. Because, like, I am never a fan of, Janet, you've got to tell us what's going on. What happened? I can't explain right now. We, you just have to trust me. Come, come on. Like, no. <laughs> like, because then when she explains it, it's, like, so simple. I trusted a guy. Turns out he was a murderous asshole. I stranded him here, and I escaped. And now that I'm back, he's going to come after me. Like, that's, you know? <laughs> and she was down there for 30 years, and, and that's the holdover she has, that she has such a hard time explaining. I know there's probably more, but, like, I just don't like that trope of, like, oh, this character can't explain their situation um, because of the haste of, of the situation. If you have time... For Hank Pym to walk through a bacterial forest and be like, this is so interesting, science. You have time to walk through the forest and have Janet explain the situation in, like, cookie-cutter terms, you know? It just, it just feels like, like, it, it feels like you're pushing the story ahead and making excuses for not just getting it out of the way now. And I get that that's, like, a movie thing, but it's not a movie thing that I like. I don't like that trope. Um, but yeah, I think if they really wanted to explore Janet... I think you either make, you know, it, it's still called Ant-Man and the Wasp. You can have Scott, um, Cassie, and, like, Janet get stranded in the Quantum Realm, and then Hope and Hank have to figure out how to get them back out. Like, you can do that, and then it's still, like, Scott has an arc, uh, Janet has an arc, and their arcs kind of reflect each other. Like, if Janet's not proud of her past, her 30 years in the Quantum Realm, and she's trying to run from it, like... Scott actually has a backstory that would help her do that. He has a past that he isn't proud of. He has a past that he's trying to rectify. And that's actually something that he can impart onto her. Which is super freaking like weird and funny. Because to my knowledge, I don't think Hank and Janet have a real conversation in this movie or the last one. And like, Jan and like Hope and Scott aren't married yet. But they're together. And, you're, and you think that if you're Janet and you come out of the quantum realm 30 years later and your little kid daughter is an adult and she's like, oh, by the way, this is the guy I love. He's a former criminal. You'd think that, like, Janet would have some opinion of that. But again, that's like a human relationship. That's like a human conversation that we're not allowed to have because explosions, giant head in a chair, came the conqueror. We, we have to just skip all of that, like, emotional meat of the situation. We have to skip all of that shit. And at the same time, Janet is someone who was very progressive. She was a secret agent for S.H.I.E.L.D. If anyone was to kick Scott in the ass and be like, you need to get off your ass and, and do something. Like, it's not a matter of your daughter or or you've already done enough. Like, no, you have this, like, job to do. It would be Janet to kick Scott in the ass and tell him that. Um... So I really, I don't like her in this movie. I don't like the excuses that she puts out to kind of drag the plot on. Um, 
and the fact that like <laughs> the fact that neither she or Hank get well, I guess Hank gets a little bit more, but like Janet doesn't even she <sighs> Hank gets a big cool thing that he gets to do. Janet steals guns and shoots the guns and um rewires a ship and I don't know, makes googly eyes at at Bill Murray. Like she doesn't get a cool thing, you know? I get that these characters don't always carry around their Ant-Man costumes. I mean, three of them do. But, like, it would have been cool if Janet always kept hers on her for situations like this because of some, like, quantum realm PTSD. I don't know. I I think Janet was poorly handled in this. Michael Douglas as Hank Pym. He's here. (laughs) I think his relationship with Scott is really good in this movie. There's not... Again, because we're not people in this movie were action figures um there's a scene where hank quotes scott's book and he tells scott like that he read every damn page and i love that you know after two movies of like their relationship developing knowing that hank is like because in the first movie hank is like you know this could be a mistake you could be a complete fuck up and i could be wasting my time But by this point, he's like, no, you're Ant-Man, you're my successor, like, you are the closest thing I have to a son, and I'm proud of you, and I'm proud of the book you wrote. He doesn't say any of that, but just him being like, I read every page of your book, is, trust me, as someone who's written a book, means the fucking world, you know? So, he gets to fly a ship. (laughs) Um, I don't know, I don't hate Hank in this movie, but he's definitely just kind of here, um, when they introduce Modoc later, there's a little bit there, but not a whole lot. <laughs> um, the coolest thing Hank does is Ant involved. Um, and that's almost worth the price of admission, like, to be honest with you. Um, but yeah, it was cool that Michael Douglas got to do, got to have a cool scene in these movies. Um, I'm not as angry with him, I guess, as the whole Janet thing, but I don't know. He's just kind of here for this, you know? Um, another person who is here, but is kind of more proudly here. I would say more boisterously here. Um, Corey Stoll returns as Darren Cross, only he's not Darren Cross. He's the mobilized... Hold on. I know this off the top of my head. I'm not going to look it up. <sighs> Mechanized organism designed only for killing, which Scott says it should be Modok, but it's it's Modok. The, the four is silent. Um, but yeah, this, okay, people are opinionated about this, and I have no idea why. It's, it's the, nobody, even comic book fans, nobody has given enough of a shit about Modoc to be, to, like, warrant him, w- warrant them being upset. It's like, it's the same way Vulture doesn't have a right to look as fucking cool as he does in Far From, or in, uh, Homecoming. Modoc doesn't deserve this much, like, controversy and discussion. Like, there are people out here really being like, no, Modoc, he, he, he should be more silly. Dude, they show his tiny little baby ass, and they say that his legs look like they're made out of string. Like, he's silly, and he acts like a fucking silly man, and he's hung up on, like, vengeance and revenge, and he considers himself a weapon. Like, that is the most Modoc thing ever, for him to be hyper-focused on, like, revenge, killing, revenge, stop making fun of me, I'm cool, I'm gonna kill you, like, and then, and then getting tossed around by someone stronger than him, that is Modoc. like, 
I don't know where people got this idea, because I don't think it was the Avengers game. I don't know what it was. But, like, in the comics, yes, MODOK at a point in time was in charge of AIM. But MODOK at a point in time was also a member of the Avengers. He was also, you know, in love with, um, who, who was he in love with? I think, I think Spider-Woman he might have been in love with. Um, or maybe it was Quake. He was, in, he was involved with one of those characters, or at least in love with one of those characters. Like, he's ridiculous. The most recent version of MODOK before this movie, he was made with Claymation and voiced by Patton Oswalt. Like, this character is malleable. He doesn't need to be, like... I don't think that's the problem I think people have, is, like, that they turned Yellow Jacket into MODOK. Honestly, I don't know what their problem is. I think MODOK is awesome in this movie. Um, I think the face shield is kind of a lame excuse to not put the CG, like, the the CGI budget into giving MODOK a real face. He's got a face. He looks like the one guy from fucking, uh, uh, Shark Boy and Lava Girl. He looks like George Lopez from that movie. I get that. But, like, I'm not super upset about the face shield. Even that it looks like a scowl. That just, he's so silly that that, that fits. I don't mind that he's bald, because Corey Stoll is meant to be bald. He's been bald forever. <laughs> he should always be bald. I don't like him not being bald. Um, and yeah, should Corey Stoll have been Lex Luthor? That's my personal take. But he just nails this. And the fact that he's so obsessed with, like, getting his revenge. And, and then, like, by the end when he's dying, you know, him wanting to be, like, Scott's, like, brother and stuff. And saying he's an Avenger. I don't know. I don't have a problem with MODOK. My only problem with MODOK was that he died at the end. You know? I think you, you really could have stretched that character out. You could have reused him a lot. But for what it is, I have no problems with MODOK in this movie. I think it's great that he gets to have a fight with Cassie. I love that shit. Um, yeah, no problems with MODOK. Alright, and then the actual main villain here is Kang the Conqueror. Now, I want to put this out there, right? I like the idea that Scott Lang is always punching up. You know, his opponents are always people who have something over him. Yellow Jacket was smart, rich, you know, uh, in charge of a company. You know, he was he was better than Scott. You know, uh, Ghost was smarter. She had more of a reason to fight. You know, she had she was kind of better than Scott. Even Wasp is kind of better than Scott. Like Kang, kind of follows in that tradition of putting Ant Man up against these like impossible to beat characters, or at least these characters who are a couple steps above Scott Lang. And I like Kang the Conqueror in this movie. I liked him in Loki as well, but I like him in this movie. I think, and I don't want to get too far into it because I know it's going to stretch on forever. I think the next time we see Kang, probably in Loki season two, we need to really like set some rules for him because of the fact that there's a multiverse of Kangs. Because on one hand... This this character is sympathetic. And on the other hand, we were warned of Kang being relentless and like a tyrant. So I, I just think we need to get a kind of a fix on that that makes more sense. Um, Jonathan Majors, as Kang the Conqueror, puts in so much work. He's, you know, for me, he came out of nowhere. I didn't know who Jonathan Majors was until Kang, or at least until 
he did uh what was what was the character the one who remains from loki but he's also gonna be in creed 3 so that's pretty cool um but yeah no i mean to, to simplify things he's a really good villain um his motivations make sense he just wants to get out of the quantum realm he was in prison there um they they kind of leave enough on the cutting room floor to kind of expand on but they also really put they really put to test or at least like they they solidify that this dude is like out there this dude is like powerful he's a tyrant he'll kill anybody but they also establish that like you know it takes a lot to beat him you know it takes betrayal to beat him it takes an unexpected uh variable variable to defeat him um and then even by the end my favorite thing with kang in this movie like my favorite like action scene despite all the cool technology he has is that drag out fight between him and scott at the end um and we'll probably talk about that a little bit more later but no i liked him in this movie i'm interested to see how many more times we see kang or variants of kang in these projects um and i'm hoping that if we see more versions of kang we get to have a bit more of like variation on his personality variation on what technology he uses um i think it's really interesting that because we don't get a lot of it but him interacting with cassie lang is interesting because in the comics cassie has a relationship with kang the conqueror where kang is a teenager so maybe that's something that we'll see in the mcu i don't know but uh <coughs> excuse me yeah no he does a good job um I don't know what else to say about him other than, like, he puts in a really good performance. Uh, as a villain, I think he... It's interesting to put him up against Ant-Man. It's not something I expected, definitely. Um, I remember when people were first talking about, like, Kang's gonna be in Ant-Man 3. Everyone thought it was gonna be, like, Kang was gonna show up because of the time shenanigans that Ant-Man performed um, in Endgame. And then, like, there was also the fact that, like, the Quantum Realm has a lot to do with time, which I guess is why he was put there in terms of, like, prison. I don't know. Kang... <laughs> Kang is a project in your garage that you always say you're gonna get around to. That being said, I, I like Kang in this movie. Alright, I'm gonna try to cut the... go through these notes in a, in a good time here. Um, let's see... I like the Quantum Realm a lot. I think that the setting kind of takes away from the characters. But I would have... So, okay. Damn it. I like the Quantum Realm, right? I like all the creatures. I like all the environments. I like that it's sort of this limitless space where you can set up all these civilizations. Um, I hope we get more of the Quantum Realm in the future. But with a caveat, I hope that, like... My ideal situation here is doing a show about Janet, about her 30 years removed from Hank. Like... And doing it as, like, an animated show on Disney+. Plus, Like, you already did What If as an animated show. Just do The Wasp in the Quantum Realm as an animated show. Um, you know, that being said, I think the Quantum Realm is really cool. It's a cool setting. It kind of represents, like, the lack of, uh... The lack of humanity in this movie. Like, the lack of character, humanity, and... and that kind of thing in this movie. But it's a cool environment. I'm, I'm, very, I'm very on the fence about the Quantum Realm, okay? Um, it sucks that we didn't get Luis, you know? 
I would have liked to know what happened with Ghost and Bill Foster from the second movie. Uh, I, th- I think Ghost is going to show up back in um, the Thunderbolts project that they're doing. Which, yeah, that's cool. Um, but eh, Louise, man. Why they got to cut out Louise? Um, oh, the other thing, too, is like as much as I like the Quantum Realm, half of the fun of Ant-Man doing Ant-Man stuff was him set in like a realistic world. Then again, we've already had two or three movies of it, so I can't be that upset. Um, I'm just going to read some of these off, because I think a lot of them reflect how I, how I feel. Um, what is the core of this movie? Like, what is it actually about? Is it about letting your daughter be more be more than your little girl? Is it about understanding when your mother makes mistakes? Is it about mistakes? Is Kang an overreaction to mistakes because of what other Kangs have done, or is he Janet's mistake? Okay, so yeah, that's... I wrote these, like, the other night, but, like, yeah, that's, I think that's what it's about, right? It's about mistakes and how we make mistakes, even though Cassie makes, like, two mistakes. Um, let's see. And why did we drop the betterment of mankind thing? Cassie, Hank, Janet, and Hope are all helping the world, and Scott isn't. And upon finding an oppressed people, he doesn't want to help them. But after he helps them a little, we never address his perspective again. That's never a moment, there's never a moment where he tells his daughter, you were right, uh, you should help people when they need help. Scott never says, I just want it to be over and for us to stop fighting. Okay, I made that point before, too. It would have been nice to expand on Scott's perspective on, you know, heroism and when you get to stop being a hero. Um, at the end... Okay, this is an important one. At the end, I thought maybe Scott would be stuck in the quantum realm, right? Because the movie ends... Or the movie, towards the ending, it's it's him... Staying behind, like everyone else goes to the portal, Scott stays in the quantum realm to fight Kang and prevent him from escaping the quantum realm. And I heard this today, uh, apparently there was a cut of this movie where Kang did get out and he escaped and Scott and Hope were stuck in the quantum realm. Um, I don't know about about Kang escaping that way, um, but I definitely would have liked the idea of in order to keep Kang from escaping, Scott and, and Hope kind of sacrifice their freedom. Or at least Scott does. It could be Scott and Hope. I don't really care. But, like, the idea that Scott, in order to save the world where his daughter lives, has to stay away from her and stay in the quantum realm. Essentially, he has to put himself in a new type of prison to protect his daughter. I would have liked that. You know, because then you can have Cassie grow up with, like, Hank and Janet and have them be her mentors. Um, and it's kind of a hard knocks lesson. But then you also get to kind of make Scott and or Wasp, like, the heroes of the quantum realm. Because I don't know if we're ever going to go back there, but, like, it'd be kind of nice if after they overthrow Kang, there was someone there to continue leading them the right way. I know they had, like, Xena the warrior princess, but whatever. Like, get Ant-Man in there. That would have been cool. Ant-Man, Hero of the Quantum Realm, I'd watch that. Um, Then I thought Janet and Scott would be stuck and Cassie would live with the Pims for a while. Uh, But no, happy ending. Yes, we we can't... This isn't the second Star Wars movie. We can't end on a a cold note. We we can't have a cold ending. Um, I like Scott's newfound anxiety. I wish that was more integral to his character. He literally runs into Darren, who almost killed his daughter when she was a toddler... And it doesn't really shake him. Scott was afraid and he was angry, but I think he needed a breaking point, And I think Rudd could have pulled that off. Yes, there is a moment where he's giant and he's running at Kang. And he's like angry at Kang. 
where you get a little bit of that, but I really think if you pushed him, Paul Rudd could have gotten out more of that, like, that character's breaking point. Because we've seen Scott, like, all bloody, still fighting. He had a I-can-do-this-all-day moment in this movie, which is nice because he loves Captain America. But, like, it's always interesting. Not when a character goes full, like, revenge-focused, but it's interesting to take a otherwise optimistic character and put them in a place where they are at their angriest and this was the moment for Scott this was the time to have him be like get away from my daughter and like you know go angry white dad on Kang the Conqueror um but that wasn't really done here and again I like the I like the anxiety bit because they kind of play with that at the end of the movie it would have been nice if that was his thing the whole movie you know if he kind of had a Tony Stark problem where it's like yes I saved the world but now I am dangerously afraid of having to do it again. You know, and it kind of would have excused... It would have excused his, like, habit of going lazy after doing something heroic. If he was just like, well, what if I do it again and I mess up and I lose everything? You know, that would have excused a lot of his behavior. Um, the, there used to be so much focus on Hank being worried about Hope because of what happened to Janet. How is there not a scene where Scott is freaking out about Cassie being locked up by Kang while uh, while Kang has the core and Hank calms Scott down? Yes, there's a moment where Kang has Cassie and he has the core he needs to reactivate his time travel device. Um, and Scott is with Hank, Janet, and Hope and they're all trying to get to point B to go fight Kang. I would have liked a moment where, where Scott is like, my daughter, she's at risk, like... I. What if Kang kills her? What if she, you know he keeps her around? What if I never see my daughter again? And Hank is a character, like Hank Pym, is a character who is very much affected by, I lost my wife for 30 years, I have a strained relationship with my daughter. That would have been a nice moment between him and Scott to kind of, you know, have a conversation about, you know, your daughter's going to be safe, we're going to help her, She and, and she's a smart person, Scott. Your Your kid is very smart and you need you need to have faith in her and then Hank could have looked over at Janet or could have looked over at Hope and that would have been nice I guess I guess Janet wasn't there for that but still like you ha like that's the infuriating part you have the pieces to have this meaningful conversation and have it be kind of symmetrical to Hank's story with Hank and Scott and, and you know, how Hank worried about Hope and everything you could have done that but laser beams need to happen. <laughs> um, next note. Uh, I liked Ant-Man 1 because it was character-focused. I liked Ant-Man 2 because it was about teamwork. Both films are down-to-earth and set Scott against impossible odds. But here we are away from Grounded. We split the team. And those elements of an underdog and character focus uh, are less because of the plot around them. That's kind of what I've been saying the whole time. Uh, and then this is the last thing. So, again, this ends with... Kang quote-unquote dying um which Scott even is like unsure about like he you know at the end of the film he's all happy-go-lucky but he has these anxiety moments of like did we kill him did we did we do the right thing is Kang gone forever did did we do the right thing and I like that again I wish there was more of it but at the end Scott and Janet or Scott and Hope sorry Scott and Hope defeat Kang and they're happy and they're gonna go through the portal and then the next scene jumps forward and Scott is like, you know, doing his little walk down the street, 
he bought a birthday cake. He's, he's, you know, taking pictures of the people, whole thing. And he has these anxiety moments. And my first thought, when, when he had his first anxiety moment, and what I mean by this is, at the beginning and the end of the film, Scott has this monologue as he's walking down the street where he's all happy and he's done it and he's confident and he's telling his story. Um, but at the end of the film, when he's doing his monologue, the music slows down, the world kind of slows down around him, and internally he's like, well, what if I didn't save the world? Like, what, what if I actually did the wrong thing? What if Kang is still out there? Like, did we stop him? And then he's like... No, I'm sure everything will work out fine. And then the happy music continues. It's like it's like after the experience with Kang, he has these disassociative moments of, you know, existential anxiety where he doesn't know if he should be happy or if he should worry. Which, like, for a character who already worries about things, this worry is way more intense and it stops... It, it's almost like, like a mood shift, Right? And it's a very real thing. People have the same kind of anxiety where they could be having a good day. They could have one thought about something that happened and it ruins their day for the rest for, you know, it ruins them for the rest of the day. Um, and this is kind of the beginnings of that. And while I like that character choice for Scott, for whatever reason, I thought, what if that, like, cause it's a superhero movie. I'm like, what if this is a sign of something darker, right? Because I was kind of disappointed that the movie ended on such a, like, you know, clean off your hands, status quo is returned. I was kind of disappointed that the status quo returned to normal. You know, again, everyone is kind of at a better point. Cassie might be a superhero with her dad. Like, everything seems too good to be true. Like, until the end of the movie. And even the post-credits don't really say anything bad happens with Scott. Like, everything's just kind of okay. What I thought was... Him having those moments of anxiety wasn't just, like, worry or doubt. I thought, oh man, what if Scott did lose? Like, Kang's from the future and he has future technology. What if Kang did something to time? You know, where he lost but he didn't really lose and he's free and, some, and a part of Scott knows that. Like, there's a part of Scott that knows how the timeline should have gone but something changed and he can just kind of feel it. Or, and I like this better, what if the ending fight didn't, like, go the way it was supposed to go? Like, what if Kang got out? Or what if he just beat Scott and the portal closed? And what if he put Scott in sort of like a, like a virtual reality setting, you know? Um, there's a lot of, there's like a Superman story about that, but the best, the best analogy would be like the Matrix. Like, what if Kang beat Scott and put Scott into a virtual reality matrix situation where instead of having to fight him or kill him, Scott kept him, or uh, Kang kept him around for whatever reason, and was just like, here, go into this happy box, and you'll think you're living in the ideal situation. Meanwhile, I'm free, and I'm still going to try to get out. Like, what if that was what's happening? That's very much out there. There's not really a lot of standing for that theory, but the fact that the ending of this movie is so cookie-cutter, happy ending, everything works out, we're all cool, I have some doubts. But everything worked out, and we're all happy. Like, that, I I know that it's supposed to be an anxiety thing, but it just feels like, you know, that could be the case. Like, Scott could be in a fantasy world. We have no idea of knowing. Or he could be put into some alternate timeline where it does work out. I don't know. 
I, I guess I just want the I want the ending of this movie to be more interesting and exciting than it actually turned out. Alright, and since we're still talking about Kang, uh, we can talk about the future. Get it? It's a time travel joke. <laughs> um, a couple things about the future of these characters in this movie. Let's uh, get into it here. Um, Cassie, will she become Stature or Stinger? I'm hoping for Stature because I'm more used to that name, but Stinger has wings. We'll see what happens to her. Um, she'll definitely be a part of the Young Avengers and or the Champions when they eventually do that. Um, and I'm interested to see if she'll meet a younger Kang as Iron Lad. We'll see if that's a thing. I know they're introducing Riri Williams' Ironheart, who is essentially another sort of junior Iron Man, so maybe they won't even do Iron Lad. It feels like a missed opportunity if they don't, since they're doing so much Kang stuff. Um, is this curtains for Eric O'Grady? This is a bit of a deep cut, but Eric O'Grady is, a, is yet another Ant-Man. He's kind of a dirtbag S.H.I.E.L.D. agent who gets the Ant-Man suit and uses it to basically, like, spy on women in showers and steal from people. Like, like, like Scott's bad. Eric O'Grady is downright irredeemable. He is the worst kind of guy to get Scott, like, Ant-Man powers. Um, but again, we're on movie three and we're doing Quantum Realm shit, so I have a hard time believing Eric's going to be around. Maybe in the future, you know, maybe we'll get a thing where Cassie, maybe maybe he'll be a Cassie villain. That would be kind of fun. If, like when Cassie gets her own show or movie, if like her aunt, her PIM technology is stolen by some dude named Eric O'Grady, he uses it for like creepy and like um, like shitty reasons. So that would be kind of fun. Um, is Scott on Kang's hit list, dude? I don't even know if Kang the Conqueror is alive. <laughs> if he's even dead or alive after what happens to him in this movie. Um, I don't know. I kind of like the idea of Scott next time he runs into Kang in like an Avengers movie being like, oh guys, we can totally beat Kang. I beat Kang. And everyone's like, no, you didn't. Shut up, Scott. I just said it to be funny. Um, what are we going to do with Hank and Janet? Yeah, they're both old. What are we going to do with them? <laughs> We're not going to let them like be heroes or whatever. I, I guess, um, what's his name? Uh, Michael Douglas was talking about how they might be doing a Hank Pym pre uh, prequel project. And perhaps a fourth movie. But Michael Douglas said he'd only come back for a fourth one if Hank, like, died. Which I think is such a, like... Oh, yeah, I'll come back. Just kill me off so I can stop doing these movies. I think that's such a funny thing. Um, it, for me, like, yeah. I, I wouldn't mind if they did a fourth anime movie. Just to kind of resolve a lot of the plot lines here. And to, like, make a movie actually about Scott. You know, instead of just about, like bacteria monsters and time travel and shit like can we not do a star wars and make an actual like ant-man movie that'd be fun um yeah i wouldn't mind a fourth movie i don't really want a hank pym prequel unless they did it animated i guess i i wouldn't mind if they did an ant-man and wasp prequel where like some like like a like a life of you know where some episodes are about hank pym being ant-man some episodes are about janet living in the quantum realm and some episodes were about the two of them going on adventures. You know, that that could work. That could work as, like, B-story for, like, a Cassie Lang show if, you know, she gets her own project. Um, but whatever they end up doing, I wouldn't want, like, a Hank Pym, like, live-action prequel or a Hank Pym live-action movie. It feels like a waste. Um, it's also just kind of, like, typical movie talk, you know, when a lot of these things come out. Like, I don't know, I'm sure Echo is still happening, but, like, 
it kind of feels pointless, honestly. But, like, they announced Echo around the same time that, like, like Hawkeye was about to come out. And it's like, oh, coincidentally, a supporting character in this, uh, in this show is also going to get her own show around the same time that we're, we're releasing the, the original show. It's like, after Aquaman came out, WB was like, oh, and we're doing a movie about the trench. We're doing a horror movie about the trench. Like, stop. <laughs> do a project, let it sit for a while, and then tell me if you're doing, if you're going to do a, a spinoff or something, you know? Um, uh, oh, this, I guess this has to do with the future. One of the post-credit scenes. Actually, those that's the last two notes of the post-credit scenes. So, yeah, are we just going to sneak... Kang into every movie now. Like, I wouldn't mind that being, like, a cameo thing, but I don't want Kang, or a variant of Kang, to be the villain of every single MCU movie going forward. But, again, I like the idea, if you want to really connect the movies together, I like the idea of, A, putting Kang in a bunch of these movies as, like, a background character, and having it be, like, oh, no, the Council of Kangs are, like, studying the timeline and studying these new Avengers that are showing up. And then B, I would love this, because they, they kind of do something like this with Mysterio and his, like, uh, his gang of characters in in Spider-Man Far From Home. Because in that movie, they retcon a couple people from other movies. But I would love it if, <laughs> if Kang was like, oh no, I've been watching you guys, like, for a lot longer, you know? Like, the, <laughs> the general who was in charge of, like, uh, Rhodey in Iron Man 2, he was secretly a Kang, like, almost like the Skrull bit, you know? Where, like, oh yeah, there's secret Skrulls on Earth, but there's also secret Kangs who disguise themselves as other people to, like, watch the Avengers through the timeline, you know? People always complain that Phase 4 had no connective tissue. That would be a good way of kind of retconning, oh no, there was connective tissue. Uh, you know, the... The, the ten bands that the Mandarin gets are actually, I guess the ten rings, are actually, like, devices created by Kang to spy on humanity or something. Like, that, there you go, you know? There's ways of inserting Kang into these situations. You could put, like, you can sneak Kang into Eternals, you can sneak him to Shang-Chi, you can do that stuff. Um, hell, you can sneak him into Spider-Man stuff, because that third movie broke Dimensions or something. Uh, actually, you know, between Spider-Man and Doctor Strange, there was way more opportunities to sneak Kang into the projects than people, you know, give it credit for. Um, but then the last note here is, oh, uh, that other post-credit scene was totally a scene from Loki Season 2. One of the post-credit scenes is about this guy, like, Victor Timely, from, like, the Old West period. And the scene is Loki and Owen Wilson's character, Morbius. No, not Morbius, that guy steals Morbs. Mobius, <laughs> Agent Mobius, um, the two of them are in the Old West, and they find Victor Timely, who is one of the Kangs, and that scene is totally going to be, like, that's like a scene from Loki Season 2, that's what it feels like, that's what I'm guaranteeing, um, but yeah, <laughs> cool, I, that's, I like that, That that's a bit more direct, maybe Loki Season 2 will be all about finding the Kangs, um, but I really like the idea of retconning that Kang was always watching these characters, at least through Face War. 